0: RadioInfluence.com And a happy new year, the first edition of Rush the Field for 2019. I'm Scott Seidenberg alongside veteran coach, scout, and consultant Chris Landry from LandryFootball.com. The new year six is in the rearview mirror and now we take a look ahead at the national championship game between Alabama and Clemson. I think we've seen That script play out
1: before. Happy New Year, Chris. Happy New Year, Scott. It's uh, gotten off to a bang. And, um, you know, it's always, you know, growing up, I always thought New Year's night was kind of depressing after the Orange Bowl was done because that was the last game that was always done. The Sugar Bowl floated it used to be new year's eve new year's day then it then it kind of settled in new year's night but because of the length of the halftime show the orange bowl always the light was the last game to end it was just so depressed particularly when you had to go to school the next day and you just kind (laughs) of thought the college season's over now i kind of feel a little bit of that once we get through the bowl season obviously though we still have that great game left and so it's been an interesting year and an interesting bowl season, no question.
0: Well, I think it's been an interesting year because the schedule, the way that the schedule played out, the fact that the national semifinals took place prior to New Year's Day, I feel like the games on New Year's Day, it's not like they lost a little bit of juice, but I didn't feel like everybody was as into the day as they normally would have been had the national semifinals been on that day. I don't know. I know they want to rotate the Bulls, Chris, and I don't know what they can do, but it just feels natural that the semifinal games should always be on New Year's Day.
1: Well, I agree with you. Now, for people who are wondering why it's not, it's the Rose Bowl. Um, the Rose Bowl, and this is, again, part of the problem of college football. Everybody, It's kind of not run by anybody in particular. It's kind of a collaborative effort, and we're going to do this. Okay, well, then we'll do this. And we're going to do this. And there's no organizational, and I don't want to get off on a tangent here, but this is important to understand that. Okay, so when the Rose Bowl decided that, hey, we're going to have, this is what we're going to do. We're on January 1st, mm-hmm. and we're starting at 2 o'clock local time. Okay, deal with it, because we want the second half to be as the sun goes down. Of on course. Same, you know? So that's what we want. And the game will be at the conclusion
0: of the tournament of roses parade and all the ceremonies. And and this is what we do.
1: So the sec and the big 12 said, fine, we're going to have the sugar bowl at night on new year's day. And that's what we're going to (laughs) do. And there you go. You know, you know, so that's that. So the problem is, is when it's a rose bowl is part of the playoffs, then you can fit it in. But when they're not, then we got to figure it out next year it's going to be on december 28th because as the calendar flies it's the saturday ends up on december 28th like it did this, this year in the 29th so there is the issue of of what i'd like to say now and you know we'll, we'll get into it a little bit more but that's part of the problem and i think the flow, I, i've heard some people say that that is the, a lot of people kind of had that feeling of Hmm. This doesn't feel right. It's kind of, we have the big game and although games weren't all that good, you know, in the (laughs) semifinals and they, they tend to not be very good. That's a whole other issue we can get into. Um, but you're right. It, 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 it's uh, it, it has a little bit of a different feel. And listen, I'm open to, they play them when they want to play them and they, they play them at midnight i'm watching it you know but it, it's just it's just one of those deals where i think it's it's awkward
0: yeah and, and i feel like it, it's been this way whenever there's been a game after the semi-final games because even if it if it was on new year's day you still sometimes had a game that was another new year's six bowl game that took place whether it was a day later or even two days later we've had yes. that before And I always just feel like it's anticlimactic to have games after the playoff games because the playoff games should be the final games of the season. It's like in any other sport, you don't have the Major League Baseball or the NFL postseason. Well, then you have the Pro Bowl, but you know what I'm saying? It's not an all-star game. You don't have a regular season game or an extra game occur
1: in the middle of the playoffs with two non-playoff teams. Yeah, we've had... You know, like a cotton Bowl on January. Yes, you know, know, and and stuff like that. Um, Listen, this is part of, again, not having a college football commissioner's Mm -hmm. office office that oversees everything uh, that everybody would kind of submit themselves to. We're going to do what's best with a sport of college football. And we don't have that that's, you know, whether it's the playoff format or non-playoff format or full format or how we do this, the scheduling, none of it makes a whole lot of sense. And we see this a lot. we see some of it in the regular season with television scheduling, where we have maybe the two best games of the day going up ahead against one another. Uh. And then we have kind of a, little bit of a lull at night. Now, again, I'm a little unusual and watch multiple games at one time, but for the good of the sport, you know, for everyone, you know, making that the feature game, uh, this is where I think college football could learn a lot from, from the NFL. But for the reason is that I get this a lot. Why doesn't the NCAA do this? The NCAA has not, there is no NCAA. The NCAA is an enforcement body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it is it, the, the whole operation of the NCAA. It's run by its institutional members. So everybody kind of does their own thing. And this leads to some issue, in which is why I say we need some sort of a oversight, a college football commissioner office that can help with scheduling. Yeah, uniform scheduling play, is a big thing. Yes. That, Uniform that scheduling, who you play, mm-hmm. when the games are, making it best for TV for the fans. These The bowl matchups, you've heard me say this before. I'm a big believer in making the bowl games more of a centerpiece of an extension of the regular season. And I love it. Get, yep. done, get done with that. Go to the bowl games. So to your point, all the bowl games... Cause I don't believe also, and I'll take your, your point a step further. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And it's been, it's been this way for a long time to where a lot of people probably think this is normal, but it's abnormal to have like the citrus bowl and the Outback bowl and bowls like that on new year's day. Those are, those were always traditional pre new year's day games. Mm. Let me tell you what the new year's day games were. There were four. Okay. Started with the cotton bowl. Sugar Bowl, Rose Bowl, and Orange Bowl. Those yep. are the four. Fiesta Bowl was a pre-New Year's Day game. It became a New Year's Day game. And then when they started to move things differently and they started the BCS and used the major bowl games, then we, we had to make the pre-New you know, New Year's Day bowl games on New Year's Day. Well, if you go back and you, you make it like a little bit like the old days and make the bowl games more meaningful – and then pick the teams that you're going to put in the playoffs after the bowl games, then January 1st would be the crescendo because imagine the excitement that we have that last regular season game of the season. We'd still have some of that because it'd be positioning for bowl games. Mm -hmm. Then that excitement would be leading up between Christmas and new year's day, you know, the Outback Bowl, the Citrus Bowl, the Peach Bowl. Oh, we would have um, had
0: we would have had the Sugar Bowl. The Sugar Bowl last night would have been Alabama and Oklahoma, and then you know, that would have been a, a basically a playoff game. Same thing with Ohio State and Washington. Now Ohio State probably would have been a playoff team if we included all the bowl games. Well, there's and, a lot And, of and, you know, and I'm that. not,
1: and I'm not even talking about in a playoff. What I'm talking about is having the bowl games where you put better bowl matchups, and you put the better bowl matchups leading into. You know, the the bowl games between Christmas and New Year's, you know, leading up to the New Year's Day bowl games, where then after that, you you have a better sample size Mm -hmm. of what all these teams have done. Then you pick your two teams. Or if you want four teams after that, I think two will be enough. So you can pick your two teams after January 1st. Then you can play that game. So it, it ends on January 1st except for the national playoff game, the championship game. And I think it would be a better way to do it. And, and it would, you know, it's just one of those things that now there's an argument. Well, then the bowl game wouldn't mean as much. People would want to go. I, I think that's a. there's no perfect system. But I think the, the, it's pretty clear now, as someone who watched all these bowl games, there were some intriguing bowl games. There were a lot of, at least from a competitive standpoint, a lot of duds.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I love your idea of having the bowl games count towards the season and then picking your two teams to play in the national championship game. I think that's just the the best system that you could possibly have because it makes the bowl games more meaningful, but then it also separates the teams because they play itself out in these non-traditional conference matchups. Now, everyone wants to talk about potential expansion of the playoffs, Chris, but based off what we saw in some of these bowl games, I'm not so sure that's a great idea. UCF plays against LSU, and I think the entire country had their eyeballs on the Fiesta Bowl here because all the conversation that was surrounding UCF for the past two years, crowning themselves national champions last year, claiming that they had a right to be in the playoffs this year. LSU wins that game, and I don't know if you saw this picture of one of the LSU players holding up a sign that says, you're welcome, America, or something like that. Oh, no, it said, (laughs) oh, no, they tweeted out, you're welcome, America, and right. the player was holding up a sign that said National Champs LOL, like, you know, laughing at the UCF Knights. Now, UCF has had a mm-hmm. great run the past two years, and who knows mm-hmm. um, what this team would have looked like with Mackenzie Milton at quarterback, even though I will say Mac has played good quarterback for them the past couple of weeks uh, in Mackenzie Milton's absence. But LSU beating UCF just proved to me that Central Florida, as great of a two-year run as they had, they lost to the sixth place team in the SEC and LSU playing with third and fourth string defensive backs in that game, Chris.
1: Yeah. They had 13 players that were either starters or key, you know, players in their team, 13 did not play in the game. That's to start the game. And then you had the ejections, which led to yes, a receiver having to play corner because they didn't have enough defensive back. So Um, that's another story in and of itself. I I think that central Florida is a good team. I think the thing that's probably, there was certainly not as much pushback or certainly not the vitriol when Boise state was starting to make their run now. And I tend to get a little fuzzy on when some of this stuff started to happen, but I don't think Twitter certainly wasn't what it is today. No, no, no. Back when, when when Boise was good, he may have just been starting or something. But the whole social media world is, it's changed things, of course. But I think what's really rubbed people the wrong way is how Central Florida has demanded that they get respect instead of earning it, and I think they lost a whole lot of credibility over the past couple of weeks. Danny White, the athletic director, has when he came out yeah. that he turned yep. down the Florida. You know, and let me let me just explain something to Danny, who's he's a, he's a young kid. I know his I know his dad. I know Kevin White. Kevin tried to hire me at a job when he was an athletic director, and Danny was a little snot-nosed kid running around, you know, <laughs> and, and, and Kevin was telling him, you know, sit down. There, finish. I mean, you know, so uh, Danny needs to learn that you're Central Florida. You're not Florida, and you have to earn your way in. Let me tell you a little quick story, and I'm going to wrap it up real quick on it is, you know, there's a coach that left West Virginia that went to Florida State by the name of Bobby Bowden. And, you know, for people who don't know, Florida State was nothing. I mean, it was less than what, you know, I mean, it's, it's, look, it, it just, it didn't, it, it was an independent. It hadn't done anything sustainable in college football. And Bobby Bowden, they would play eight road games a year out of 11. They'd go and because they had to earn respect. They had to they had to play not one for three. They would have loved it back then. They'd have to go play three times at Auburn, or you know, two times at Auburn, two times at Alabama. There are a couple of games that went Nebraska, Michigan, you name it. They went any in in that's what they have to do. And I think they lost a lot of respect with that because the whole thing that nobody will play them. Well, that's BS because they can find people to play them. Houston's done it. Boise's done it. Fresno's done it. A lot of people have done it. And I think they're a good team. I don't think that last year or this year, when I study them on tape, they're not a team that could sustain playing a difficult conference schedule in a power five and go unbeaten. I, mean, I think the big reason why they've been unbeaten is because they've just been the best team in their league, which... Is good. It's great. Uh, acknowledge that. But to assume that you're good enough to be, quote unquote, um, you know, people say get a chance. Well, you've had a chance. You had a chance right there to go and do a deal with Florida, for goodness sakes. Mm-hmm. And you turn that down because you think that you need to get the same thing as Florida. Florida doesn't need you. Florida can say to heck with you. They can play anybody and fill up the swamp why do we, they want to go, you know, you know, so I think to me, that's an administrative fall. And, and again, I think Danny is a little, you know, hype machine guy that is trying to, you know, write his ticket to a power five job as an athletic director and kind of making a name for himself. And I don't think he did uh, his school at central Florida, any, uh, in, any uh, positives there. And so, listen, they're a good program. They're a good team. Um, The loss to LSU didn't prove that they're not worthy of it. That's already been proven in my eyes. Uh, The fact that they're good, the fact that they don't have the depth. One to 45, they match up pretty well. They don't match up at the line of scrimmage, relatively speaking, to power five schools many of them, mm-hmm. and it's not about beating a team on a given day. It's about going through the gauntlet, which they do not have to do. So it is a moot point, and the reality is, unless they get into a big conference, it's not going to happen. And I've seen Utah and TCU make the transition well. They've not won conference titles, although TCU, well, actually, TCU did have a shared Big 12 title. It it, it is not saying that Central Florida, if they put the resources together, Scott, if they got an opportunity to go into the Big 12 down the road, that they might not be able to build a program to where they could compete on a week in, week out basis. But they're not there yet. Don't know if they're going to get that opportunity. Um, But if they have the arrogant attitude that they won't want to play, you know, one for three, um, I got news for them if they're going to go to a big 12 or, you know, they're going to have to, um, they're not going to get the money. They're going to have to give up their money for the first few years. And Correct. they're going to have to, you know, they central Florida doesn't bring anything to the big 12. It doesn't add anything to the big 12 at all. Uh, the big 12 doesn't need them. They don't need anybody to add. I mean, central Florida doesn't make them better or more relevant. You know, So it just means another mouth defeat. So, I think central Florida needs to understand who they are needs to understand that uh, they've got, you know, you've got to earn respect. It's not given to you. And I think that, um, you know, yesterday was just an example of a team that quite frankly, as you mentioned, not a, what I would call a really good team. You know, I'd say LSU is a pretty good team this year. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're outstanding. And certainly they were nothing more than an average team yesterday. With all their depletions of the personnel, yet they still dominated this game at the line of scrimmage, um, and you know, kind of won the game a lot more than the score would indicate. I would agree with that. And you mentioned Boise State, and I wanted to bring this up for the
0: listeners. Boise State earned their place in the national conversation. It wasn't until after and now they are they they already had this contract with the Pac-12. They would play Washington or Oregon or. Oregon State, right? Washington State. They would play these games with them. But it wasn't until... They they beat beat Georgia. Well, well, this this is what I'm getting to. This is what I'm getting to. It wasn't until after they won that Fiesta Bowl in 2006, 2007, that they started scheduling. And I know these contracts are done years in advance. But then moving forward, 2010, they play against Virginia Tech. 2011, Mm -hmm. Georgia. 2012, Michigan State. 2014, Ole Miss. So they started getting these games on their schedule after they earned right. the national respect by beating Oklahoma in, the, in that Fiesta Bowl. And that's mm-hmm. why if a Boise State team goes undefeated in the Mountain West with that, with that non-conference game beating a Georgia in 2011, they are in the national conversation as opposed to a Central Florida team that doesn't play anybody except well, the two-for-one with Florida— and, And then you will have something to prove.
1: That's right. Houston did it a couple of years ago. Correct. Now, they didn't win enough games in their league. They got beat up a little bit. But they played, at that time, a top 10 Louisville team. And they played Oklahoma and beat them both. Okay, so had they gone unbeaten, they absolutely would have earned something because they played it out of conference um, and won a couple of games. Now, it's still not an indicator of you know, necessarily how good, but in in a 14 playoff, you know, certainly an expanded playoff, but the, the notion that even if we expand that, that you put a, the best group of five team in is ridiculous Mm -hmm. because we don't know that there is a team worthy of it. There needs to be some checks and balances to anything that you put in a conference champion in the power five. You know, any conference champion in a group of five, certainly, and the best of the group of five teams. First of all, you could have the bowl games to determine who the best group of five team is, but then you have to determine, do they rank well enough, high enough, to be inclusive into a playoff format, even if it expands? Because most years, it will not, you know? And and I don't think you can, you don't want to sit there and put a one-loss group of five team in that just just to say you have somebody in, I think it's ridiculous. And I think you've got to put teams that earn it. In fact, teams that like Notre Dame that go unbeaten, they get they get hammered, and we'll talk about that, I know, in a second. Um, <laughs> and people don't think they deserve So you think a group of five team, no, I, I think there's, to me, a big gap in a lot of cases, and I don't think people understand it because I think from a – a limited knowledge standpoint, fans, and sometimes media with agendas look at it and say, well, they beat this team, they beat this team, they've got a chance, they give them a chance. It's not about giving a chance. It's about determining who has had the best seasons, who are the best teams relative to who you've played. And the bottom line is if you're playing in the group of five, you're not playing week to week as tough of a schedule. And if if they were all that then Central Florida wouldn't be trying like the Dickens to move into the power five. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if they think that they're just as good and quote cold, they think the whole ACC thinks AAC thinks that they're part of the power six as they make it up. Well, then why are they, you know, the, you know, the, the bell Cow program trying to move up. Why is Houston trying to move up? Because the reality is it's not accurate. We live in a world of fake news, say something incorrect factually incorrect often enough and some people are going to believe it that's kind of the world we are in right now unfortunately but those of us that study football are just not buying that nonsense
0: i want to talk about motivation in some of these bowl games chris and watching georgia lose to texas It reminded me, and tell me if you agree with this, it kind of reminded me of the Alabama loss to Oklahoma in the Sugar Bowl in uh, 2013, 2014. That was the year, if you recall, Alabama went undefeated and lost the Iron Bowl on the uh, the miracle at Jordan-Hare, the kick six, right? So they lose that game, last game of the regular season, in just improbable fashion with the field goal return for a touchdown. I didn't think there was any chance that Alabama was going to win the meaningless Sugar Bowl that they were playing in after that loss. And it turns out that they lost. They lost to Oklahoma, and they didn't really look great in that game. Motivation absolutely comes into play in some of these bowl games. And when I watched Georgia, I looked at a team that thought that they should be in the playoffs, that was disappointed in the loss to Alabama and disappointed in the committee's decision to not include them as a result to their Alabama. And frankly, missing a couple of guys that chose to prepare for the NFL draft just didn't get up for a Texas team that was on a mission. And that's what I felt watching that game.
1: I think motivation is a big part of it. And to me, here's how I look at it. And whether it's you know the Alabama situations that you refer to, Georgia, um, on New Year's night in the Sugar Bowl, that, that's a sign of lack of mental discipline, because here's what it really comes down to. And it's part of a bigger picture. It's part of what we talked about. Make the Goat Bowl games more meaningful. Pick the games after that. You don't know what's going to happen. Then maybe more teams are playing. We're playing more motivated, and more players are maybe considering to want to play with their teammates. Uh, perhaps, you know, some may not still want to prepare for the draft, but, but some may want to play a little bit more as the games are a little bit more meaningful. If you're not prepared to play for a bowl game and somebody else is, that's your problem. Yeah. You know, and here's the thing. Um, you can't have it both ways. You can't sit there and say you deserve to be in the playoffs and then go out, spit the bit, and then, then claim that where well, you were better than somebody. Well, you know what? You proved that you, you really can't be trusted and that you're, you're not as good as you think because part of being good is not just talent. It's not just coaching, but it's about mental discipline it's focused. Let, let me tell you a quick little story about what happened after the Utah and Oklahoma games that, that we're talking about with Alabama. And it's part of Nick Saban talks about his process. And this is really true. And if you think about it, if you can't get motivated for the 16 bowl practices that it takes to play in a bowl game, here's the thing. It's for Georgia. It's not about getting prepared to play Texas or the Sugar Bowl. It's about Every practice, you getting better as a team, individually. And if you just, you know, throw away an opportunity to get better, how are you going to get better in the spring? Or mm-hmm. you're going to be how? If you can't get motivated to play in a bowl game, how are you going to get motivated for some innocuous practice in the spring? You practice how you play, and you, pray how you play how you practice. Okay, you didn't get into the national championship playoffs. You go out, you prepare, and you play angry. You play aggressive. You play with a lot of energy. You don't look at at the aforementioned LSU Central Florida game. There may be a lot of uh, late hits, tough hits. You know, a lot of guys missing, a lot of ejections. You can't question both of, either one of those teams were playing with heart because they did. Well, you know, it, it's one of the things that I would say about Georgia that as I look at them, they're recruiting every bit as good as Alabama. They've shown that they can play on the field with Alabama toe-to-toe. But what they've shown that they can't finish games. And now, you know, it does not mean the program is in a downward, you know, spin. Mm -hmm. But what it is is an opportunity for Kirby Smart to say, you know, because he's been around that process, right? When Nick Saban lost those games... He challenges guys. See, that's why you can't finish against Auburn. That's why you can't finish against this team or that team. That's why you're playing in the Sugar Bowl instead of the playoffs, because you don't do the little things. So let's take these bulk. And, of course, they haven't been out of the BCS or playoffs since. Ever since, yep. But but that's a big reason why. And i say this. I turn it around. Well, they're not motivated to play in that game. Well, if you're not motivated to play in the game, that's why you're not in the playoffs. Because if you don't play with that same type of intensity, focus, and motivation, every practice, every meeting, every game, you're not going to get better. And if you're not going to get better, you may have the one or two or third best recruiting classes in the country that can match Clemson and Alabama, but you're not performing on the field quite like that. So for Georgia, it is maybe to be a lesson that going forward, it's about doing the little things because maybe that attitude contributed to lack of preparation against lsu a game that probably cost them a chance to play in the Correct. playoffs mm-hmm. you can't have it both ways you can't have it well we weren't motivated for this game in that game nick saban choose out his team because he has a bad quarter against the citadel that's the difference and so listen you can't sit there and that's one of the things well you're not motivated If you're not motivated, that's your problem, and that is a further indication that you're not a championship-caliber program. And when you can fix that, then combine with, I think, talented coaching and staff and talented roster, then you can go from being, hey, they're good, look out for them, to, hey, they just won their first championship, maybe second championship, they're in it again. Losing to Alabama is no shame. But not getting prepared, not getting motivated to play Texas in the Sugar Bowl is something that anyone associated with the Georgia football program should be today embarrassed by.
0: Let's talk about Ohio State, Chris. Uh, Good three quarters against Washington in the Rose Bowl. I'll admit, 28-3, to I went out to go pick up some dinner. You know, I'm listening to the game on the radio (laughs) as I'm going to pick up my food. And it's like, hey, Washington scores. And I'm like, ah, it's cute. Hey, Washington scores again, and I'm like, "What's going on here?" And then I get home and I watch the ending of the game, and Washington's about to kick an onside kick to try to get the ball back down 28 to three. What happened to the fourth quarter there? Uh, a valiant effort from Jake Browning and Miles Gaskin, uh, an offense that up until that fourth quarter didn't score a touchdown. It seemed like in forever, uh, but Ohio State does win this game, and they win it for Urban Meyer in his final game as a head coach. Asterisk next 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 to that, Chris. Uh, because I think there's a lot of people that think that maybe it's not Urban Meyer's final game as a head football coach. But what did you make of the send off
1: for Meyer as the Buckeyes win the Rose Bowl? Well, I thought they controlled the game. I thought that Washington kind of knew they had some limitations offensively, played it a little conservatively, and, and I think what happened late was Washington just out of desperation had to be very aggressive, and they played against some loose zone looks and was able to make some plays. And, and quite frankly, it's as simple as they made a couple of big time throws and all of a sudden it's a touchdown. And the, of course the, the last touchdown, uh, you know, was with 24 seconds. So it was, you know, like you said, an onside kick and then, you know, a couple, couple play opportunities. They even had a chance. They went for two to close it to three. And, you know, and, and so, yeah, it was a little bit closer, uh, too close for comfort for, I think Ohio state, uh, because they did control the game. It wasn't as close as, the, obviously, the end of it showed. But what it showed is you know, how well you know, Washington continued to fight. Uh, the big difference to me is, and, and I see this a lot, uh, and again, we, don't, we just talked about Georgia and their play, and, and, and sometimes teams don't play to that level, but there is a decisive level. When you look at the talent level at the line of the scrimmage, from Ohio State, particularly the defensive line, um, Ohio State's on a different level than really yeah, anybody of in course. the Pac-12 right mm-hmm. now. Washington, and that's a big difference, and that, uh, that 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 kind of showed up from the majority of the game, uh, and it certainly was the big difference in why you know Ohio State the uh, you know basically controlled it, but I think kind of uh, played a little conservative, and in Washington was aggressive and. Listen, they play it again. Who knows? There's a couple of mistakes, and then, you know, it never gets that close. But Washington had to be aggressive and uh, plan against some loose coverage. They had some success to to close it, and, and at least it was a little fun, a little drama at the end.
0: Yeah, but is it is it hard to celebrate Urban Meyer considering what occurred at the beginning of this season? You know, he talks about the ups and downs, but – Clearly, there's a cloud that's going to hang over his legacy. I mean, on the field, forget about everything else, on the field, he's one of the top five greatest college football coaches ever, in my opinion. But the cloud that's going to hang over him as a result of what occurred at the beginning of this season, I don't think you can ignore that when you talk about the legacy of Urban Meyer right now.
1: Oh, I don't, I don't think you can ignore it. I've known Urban since he was a, a graduate assistant for Earl Bruce at Ohio State, and He's always been a very ambitious young coach, very bright young coach, um, you know, very, very, very aggressive in his in, in how he did things. Um, and, and he, you're correct, he's had a lot of success. You know, he's turned around every program he went. I can't tell you how bad Bowling Green was. Yeah. And and he, you turn them around, and they were kind of like, you know, they were winning every week. I remember at the time uh, knowing him and having a background with him, I was doing a national radio show on Fox radio and urban came on every week when he's got bowling green on that, on that street. Cause you know, he's really looking to get publicity and all. Yeah. We'll have you on and all that program was doing well. And it was a great little story. And uh, I actually did a, a, a show at the time with a guy that was a bowling green graduate. <laughs> so he was loving the fact of urban Meyers in and winning and, then he goes and he gets the Utah job, and he turns around Utah and he mm-hmm. takes him to a New Year's Day bowl game. So he turns it's Alex Smith around. drafted number one overall. Yeah, he goes to Florida and and obviously does a great job there. His reputation will be, um, you know, a lot of people don't like him, and he's done things that do call it into question. I think it's fair. I think it's fair to look at not only his ending at Ohio State, and I'm not talking about the ending of the game, but the season that you're referring to, um the the bad decisions that he made and the enabling that he did. But you also have to know that he left Florida in a shroud of controversy there. Correct. Yeah. And he left the program. Mm-hmm. So he's got two situations that you look at him and you say, mm, you know, there's going to be something you you so the answer is, well, what is it? Well, folks, the answer is pretty simple. He's both. It's an outstanding coach, and he's got some, you know, some some issues there. And and he's coaching and coached in a in, in an era where there's a lot of it's the information age. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how I I often laugh and, and chuckle behind the scenes. You know, this is not in any way, defend, defending Urban because again, I think Urban has been very controversial. But but if there were other coaches, coaches that a lot of people have a high regard for, that coached in the seventies and early eighties, and the sixties, that I knew the things that happened that nobody <laughs> knew about because it wasn't the information yeah, age. Right. You know, now I think I think what Urban did, enabling you know someone that was a um, that, that abused his wife, um, is unconscionable. Um, but he also did some other things that were unconscionable too. And I think that's going to, that's going to be part of his legacy. And that's part of the world today we live in, right? Coaches back then that I'm talking about didn't make a whole lot of money. They didn't jump from job to job because there wasn't a whole lot of money to jump to for another job. Now there's a lot of money. There was a lot of focus. There's not a lot of patience. And then they've got a spotlight on you 24, seven, 365. And if you just step out of line, you got an issue. You think about a guy like a Hugh Freeze who's trying to work his way back in the embarrassment, you know, with the call under the call girls and all that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, being a Bible thumping guy, you know, it, if, 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 if he was coaching in the 70s, no one would have ever found out about yep. that. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. and then, you know, but now you you, you do that stuff. It's, it's a different world we live in. So with the, too much is given, much is expected, and this is part of the environment we live in now. And uh, he's going to be looked at with skepticism uh, and, and, and and appreciation for what he's done, but with a jaundiced eye looking at him off the field and saying, you know, he was shady, he was this or that.
0: Before we get into our national championship game preview, Chris, which bowl outcome? of this past bowl season surprised you the most. For me, the one that surprised me the most was Michigan laying an absolute egg against Florida in the Peach Bowl. This looked like the Michigan team that got blown out by Ohio State, not the Michigan team that ran through the rest of their Big Ten schedule. I was very disappointed in, in uh, Jim Harbaugh's performance
1: there. Well, it makes you wonder after watching that game. Okay, the tar- their top three players didn't play in the game. Yeah, I understand that. You know, you, okay. yes, I understand. No, I know, I know, no, I know that. But let me let me finish. This is this is what I'm my point is. Top three players are not playing. It doesn't matter about who's playing in the game, but when your top three guys are not playing, and this goes for other players, it pretty much tells me without having stepped foot on the campus in practice. The practices weren't very good. I can tell you that right now. They weren't motivated. They weren't playing well. They, they weren't focused. They weren't well coached. Um, their energy wasn't there. That's the problem. Okay, when you, when you, again, miss that opportunity to prepare correctly, you miss an opportunity to get better as a team. And so the, the players that are coming back, they missed an opportunity to build towards something to next year. Now, if you turn it around and you learn from it, great. But so what it tells me is that, you know, they didn't play well against Ohio State. You know, they were motivated for it, whether they were motivated or not. Again, I think that when you have guys that say, I'm not going to play, what does it say to the rest of your team? This game's not that important. Well, you know, it's human nature. The guy, well, you know, work is hard. You know, it's the end of the semester. And, you know, we, you know we're playing. It, it, that's part of the problem that it's infiltrating the bowl system. And, the, and, and I think it was an ugly loss for Jim Harbaugh and Michigan because on the heels, they gave up like 103 points all season in the Big Ten and gave up like 104 points in their last two games against Ohio State Michigan. They collapsed on defense. They didn't look like a very good team at all against Ohio State or Florida. And I look at it and say, where's Michigan now? You know, it is an, another ugly loss. Jim Harbaugh has not done much of anything. And how can you not be motivated? How can you not play well in a game when you've got a month to prepare? When you're trying to sell your program? I mean, you're Michigan. You hadn't done anything in eons. Eons. So, I, you know, to me, it was very disappointing and surprising to the degree of which they got their rear end whipped. I mean, it was, it was an ugly performance and one in which – Again, they got to take it into the off season, And at this point, is anybody going to trust Michigan until they can win a big game? Okay, until they can beat Ohio State, win mm-hmm. the Big Ten. You know, I mean, you know, go to a bowl game. I mean, they're such a long way away from gaining anybody's respect um, that, that to me, that was an ugly, ugly loss.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't get much uglier than that, Chris. All right. Let's take a look at the national championship game, Alabama and Clemson. It's a matchup that we've seen for the past several years. So no one's surprised that these two are the teams that are playing in the national championship game. When I look at the way that they match up to me, it's very even when you compare the Clemson defense to what they can bring on the field against the Alabama offense and what the Alabama defense can also bring against the Clemson offense. Much like I thought Alabama would control the line of scrimmage and run the ball in their matchup against Oklahoma, I think they'll rely on Tua a lot more in this game against Clemson and try to take advantage of some of the opportunities that they'll have going up against that secondary. I do expect a big game from guys like Damian Harris and some of the running backs for Alabama. I think Clemson has a chance. I can't get off Alabama, though. I'm picking the tide to win this game and win yet another national championship game.
1: Well, I want to tie in kind of... The, the the matchup with, with kind of also a combination to look ahead to it and, and, and with a look back. I thought Clemson against Notre Dame defensively was outstanding and took away everything that Notre Dame had to bring offensively. Notre Dame couldn't establish anything. At the line of scrimmage, they struggled. Um, they couldn't really get – They Clemson did a good job leveraging the run. They couldn't get outside against the run, and then Ian Book didn't have time. So Clemson's defense – was outstanding in the game. And offensively, um, listen, I thought they did a good job. I thought Notre Dame, uh, without love, they really did match up well in the secondary. I think Clemson's receivers, Clemson's more athletic. So I think we saw that in the Notre Dame game. I think for Alabama, um, outside of the first quarter, I didn't think Alabama played very sharp. I I thought they they had a lot of unforced errors, very un-Alabama-like. I thought they... Kind of lost their way a little bit because of the mistakes, and they got in. Remembering, we talked about controlling the game, and they did. Then they got into where they're making mistakes, and they turn it over. Th- then they, then they're having to kind of go up and down the field and score or in Oklahoma because it was, you know, it was a 28 point margin. Th- then it was a 21 point. Then it went 18 and 11. Then back to 18. Then 11. Then 18. I mean, it was that. And, and the difference was Alabama defensively got on the field way too much. And therefore, I had to rely on their offense to kind of you know, go up, you know, tackle Oklahoma's defense, which couldn't stop anybody and didn't stop Alabama once, except for, you know, Alabama making mistakes. Um and, and again, we what did we say? That Alabama would have to make mistakes for Oklahoma to have a chance. So when I look at that game as it goes into this, this game against Clemson, I think, Alabama's going to have to play a cleaner game. I, I don't, you know, they can't have the unforced errors. You can't miss the opportunities in the red zone. Um, listen, I, I, I think that Alabama in some ways dominated Oklahoma for stretches in the game and then completely kind of lost their way. And then Oklahoma, with their offense, kind of got Alabama's defense on the run. Alabama's defense was gassed, you know, in, in, in the early fourth quarter. I mean, they were gassed. So that same defense... That was shutting down Oklahoma, got gas. And that's part of what you do with those tempo offenses that are very uh good against defenses. So I think this game will be a little different in style. I think Clemson will run some tempo, but I do think that it's going to come down to this. Trevor Lawrence is, you know, check the birth certificate. This kid does nothing like a freshman quarterback would do. This kid plays like a seasoned vet. I suspect he'll play well. But he's never seen a
0: defense like this, Chris.
1: Well, again, he's played well in every opportunity. He hasn't seen a defense that's going to put the pressure. I think the whole key is, can he handle the blitz pressure? Can he handle the base pressure in the split safety looks that Alabama runs? Don't know. We're going to, we're about to find that out. I think that they would like to run a little tempo to get Alabama tired. And I do think the running game is good. Listen, these two teams, we can talk about playoffs. We can talk about 2, 4, 8, 10, Mm -hmm. 12, 16. These are the two best teams for a reason. I think that on the other side of the ball, this Clemson defense is no joke. I mean, they can get to get home with four-man pressures. They can defend the run. Um, It's going to be a challenge for Alabama's offense to be able to move the football against this front. I do think he can throw against Clemson secondary. I think to some degree he could throw a little against Alabama secondary. I think it's going to come down to quarterback play. I think that Tua looked outstanding. Yes, there some mistakes, as I mentioned, against Oklahoma, but I thought Tua was outstanding, looked healthy, looked sharp, looked spry. So I think there's uh you know, big advantages when you look at the receivers in this game. My God, the receivers in this game. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I mean, good luck trying to figure out how to pattern match these guys if you're in the defensive side on in either, in either film room. Uh, these receivers have distinct advantages. So it'll come down to the ability up front. Who can protect well enough to allow the quarterback time to make plays? I think that Tua can extend plays better than Trevor Lawrence. I think that Trevor Lawrence even even has an even stronger arm. So it's really going to come down to the play around the quarterbacks that's going to allow the quarterbacks to do what they do. Cuz I think both quarterbacks can make big plays. I think Tua has a little again assuming he continues to to look healthy and play healthy has more ability to be able to create and make plays by play extensions and avoid some of the pressure. So that maybe could be the difference in the game. Listen, uh, last year's semifinal game wasn't all that close. That Alabama controlled it. But we've seen these two teams play in the national championship game twice. And it will, it were great games. It was born burners. You could make the case that Alabama should have won the first one and Alabama the second one. Clemson thinks they should have won both. Alabama thinks they should have won both because both <laughs> Had great opportunities. We could be, you know, it, it, it. I think it sets up potentially as a really good game, and we can only hope it comes down to the drama of the first two games that these two teams have played for national championship. So, I think that you know Alabama's experience um, and Nick Saban has something to do with it. But I don't think it's a big issue, and I think we've seen Clemson in. Play toe to toe with Alabama twice, and they've beaten them once. So I think it was, is going to be a really good game. I think it's close. It would not surprise me if Clemson won it. If you know, you know, a, a challenge to pick the game, I'd give Alabama the edge because they've done this more and better than anybody. But I'm here to tell you, this is not the this is not the gimme game that I think some people might think. I think it's really close, really competitive, and it could go either way. These are the two best teams for a reason, and I think we're going to see two good performances, two well-prepared teams uh, in this game. I can't wait.
0: I really hope so. I hope it comes down to the drama like we had last year with Alabama and Georgia as well. Now, Chris, we go to LandryFootball.com this week, and if we subscribe to that War Room breakdowns, the war room notes that you send out. There's going to be a lot of coaching news this week, right? So we go to LandryFootball.com. What are we reading about Dana Holgerson? What are we reading about some of the coaching news around the country?
1: Well, yeah, obviously it has been something that's been coming for Dana Holgerson at West Virginia. Um, He and the administration have not been able to come to an agreement on a long-term deal, and he was looking to make a move. He's got a strong tie to the Texas area. Uh, and obviously the Houston job putting together a really good package financially for him. So it was not all that surprising. Dana tried to get the Colorado job. He tried to get the Texas tech job. So, you know, while people may be surprised, this is something that we've talked about for a while that, that he was definitely trying to make the move and it just has to have the landing spot and he's found one in Houston. So we're getting into that. Obviously uh, Mark Rick does made a move. So we've, Got you covered with all the coaching search information. And, of course, it's really heating up in the NFL with all the news there as that, that cycle is just starting with the coaching searches from the head coaching spot. So we've got all that covered on LandryFootball.com. We'll have the complete breakdowns uh, of the Clemson, Alabama, in great detail. Obviously, in the NFL, all the the uh, the breakdowns of the playoffs coming up. So it's one-stop shopping football, War Room Newsletter. You can sign up for free. Just go to the website, click on it, uh, and we'll send that out uh, every week, every Friday, so you'll get that in the mail. Get you update on what's on the website as well as some inside scoop that you you, you may not have heard anywhere else. But we break down the, f- the game of football, and, and it just transitions, Scott, as we got one game left in college football, and we're getting down to the final 11 games in the NFL. We transition. Second wave of recruiting is coming. We're going to break down rosters and – Get everybody prepared and understand what's going on. Follow all the transfers going on in college football. Obviously, in the NFL, free agency, the draft, that whole process. So it, it, it moves fast for us as there's a lot of things that take place between now and before we kick off the football next season that's going to shape how the season's going to go. So there is no offseason. There's a playing season And there's a personnel season, and we're getting ready to get into the player personnel season. It's
0: about to heat up if it wasn't scorching hot already. Join all 32 NFL teams and 78 major college football programs. Become members of LandryFootball.com to get in on all the latest inside information from the guy, The college and NFL programs turn to as a consultant on coaching and scouting matters. It's less than a magazine subscription. You get all the film room breakdowns, the recruiting, college football news, draft news, coaching search news. It's one stop shop. Like Chris says, go to LandryFootball.com. Get the best season membership package ever. Just tell them where you found it. You found it right here on Rush the Field. Each Tuesday and Thursday, you get new episodes of the Landry Football Podcast. Each Wednesday, new episodes of this Rush the Field College Football Podcast. Yes, we will rejoin after the national championship game Have a fresh episode for you recapping that game. And then, of course, we'll look ahead to some other news around the uh, college football world. Could Cliff Kingsbury, who just accepted a job as the offensive coordinator at USC, could he be bolting to take an NFL head coaching job? We'll have that and more coming for you in the coming weeks. Chris, appreciate the moment that we are in, it's 2019, and we are about to crown a champion in college football.
1: Enjoy the game, brother. Uh, I will do it. You do the same, and I look forward to talking again next week.
0: Follow Chris on Twitter at LandryFootball. Follow me at Scott's On Air. This is Rush the Field, which can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.
2: This is an MMA report with Jason Floyd. Quick fix on Radio Influence. When I was watching that fight, it did not seem like Nunez was that much smaller, like strength-wise, than Cyborg.
3: No, no. I mean, one of the things is, right before that fight started... I just had this. I w- I had this gut feeling. I'm like, union going to pull it off. And you know, the thing about it, like, and the UFC had this tweet after the fact of, of you know showing kind of the highlights of of the barrage of punches. They said haymakers, and I'm like, it's not really haymakers because when you go back and you watch the the that just the you know what 51 seconds it was, is the fact of the pinpoint accuracy. That Amanda Nunez landed I mean, clear, I mean clearly you know her game plan was I'm going to get straight in the face of Chris Cyborg and I'm going to bring the fight to her and, and just and I know that there's some people who want to debate this but how can you not debate right now that a man Nunez is the greatest women's fighter of all time I don't know Ooh. when you look at her resume I, and, and and one person you know commented to me said well I'd like to see a longer winning streak okay I get that when you look at what Chris Cyborg has done throughout her career but I, I think that you just, you look at the, if you compare resumes between Chris Cyborg and Amanda Nunez, Amanda Nunez's resume is better.
2: You take away the win over Cyborg, it's better. She's faced better competition, and that's 100% due to the fact that Chris Cyborg didn't fight at 135. I mean, the 145-pound division on which Chris Cyborg built her legacy just straight up sucks, but she's still, based on her legacy and based on how long Cyborg has been doing it, Cyborg established herself as the GOAT. I mean, there was a point in time when Ronda Rousey obviously made the argument. There was a point in time when Ioana Janjic obviously made the argument. But both those cases faltered. You know, Amanda Nunez was the reason why Ronda – was a big reason why Ronda Rousey's case faltered. And so really the only fighter you would argue uh, that Nunez is not better than – in terms of the all-time rankings, is the fighter she just beat in 51 seconds.
3: The MMA Report with Jason Floyd can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and RadioInfluence.com.